Today's episode is brought to you by me. Still mostly just brought to you by me. However, my friends over at DefiantBean.com are trying to help out too, but they can't do it alone. Defiant Bean Roasters take responsibly sourced quality coffee beans, lovingly and caringly roast them, sometimes while listening to the Enormacast apparently. Then they put them in a bag, still warm, in a box, and send them to you. So fresh, the beans think they're on a little vacation right up until they hear the grinder fire up. But anyway, DefiantBean.com is offering EnormaCast listeners a deal. 10% off any order, and we, the royal we over here at the EnormaCast, get 10% as well. That's DefiantBean.com. Enter Enormo in the coupon code at checkout and get 10% off great coffee. Or head over to EnormaCast.com, click on the Defiant Bean banner for details. Be defiant. Demand fresh roasted coffee. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. Out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime is perfect time. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host, the guy slapping this thing together, Chris Kalous. It is August 1st, 2012. It's about. 8 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. This is episode number 16, an interview with the elegant and humble Kate Rutherford. But before we get to that, um, I've got some stuff I'd like to talk about for just a few minutes. First of all, I've talked to some of you guys out there, and maybe some of you have figured out that one of the great inspirations for this podcast is a podcast by Mark Marin called WTF with Mark Marin. And he just posted his 300th episode, and I want to highly recommend listening to that episode. If you don't listen to his show, he interviews comedians. Um, It's sometimes funny, but a lot of times it's a lot deeper than that. And he sort of, his show gave me kind of the inspiration to do this, although he's a thousand times better at it. But his 300th episode, which uh, just came out, is... A really interesting episode because it talks a lot about why he does his show and it talks a lot about the medium of podcasting and why he thinks it's so important and such a great medium and all those sorts of things drew me to it. And of course, as I'm getting into this and it's taking my time and I'm putting my effort and my creativity into it, I often sort of reflect and wonder what the heck I'm up to and why I'm doing it. But of course, then I get an awesome email from somebody or somebody throws me a donation or gets excited about it. And, uh, you know, that's what's keeping me going right now. Pretty stoked on that sort of stuff. And my love of climbing is really what keeps me going. I get to sit down and talk to some of my friends about climbing in a deeper way, I think, than I would normally. And also, uh, so far, I've been able to talk to some people I really idolize and I really admire. And I've got some folks scheduled that fall into that category in a really big way. Um, I don't like to preview 
who's coming up simply because until they're sitting on the microphone in front of me, I'm not always sure it's going to happen, even if we've talked about it and set a time and a date and a place. So I don't want to get anyone terribly excited. I guess you can watch the Facebook page a little bit for that. Sometimes I sort of preview on there. But anyway, after listening to that 300th episode from Mark, thinking about why I do this, I want to make sure that everybody understands that I absolutely appreciate everybody who's out there listening. Um, I don't need to hear from you guys. I just see the numbers growing and it excites me. Um, somebody came back from Yosemite and said that in two different occasions, they heard the enormous cast coming out of people's cars. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way. And again, if you're a podcast person or if you're kind of a person who's dipped into podcasts, maybe just to hear this show because you heard about it or a couple others, that episode with Mark is a really interesting look at, I think, kind of the power and the potential of this medium, this kind of underground pirate radio that we're up to. Of course, it's really easy to make these things, at least technically they're very easy to make. And of course, there's a billion of them out there and not all of them are all that great. And I don't even know if I put this one among that, but the cool thing about it is it's a very sort of democratic way to create media, to get your viewpoint out there, to get your voice out there. And so far, I think it's kind of the medium of the people. So hopefully we can keep it that way. And they talk a little bit about that in that episode. But the weird truth is, is that I feel really close to you guys out there listening. Um, I get a lot of great emails. I'm very excited to get them, although I'm a little backlogged right now. Please be patient. This is the big work time for me. But yeah, it's been awesome and exciting to create these sort of little miniature relationships online with folks, and I want to encourage everybody to keep doing that. Keep emailing me. Even if I don't get back to you right away, I will get back to you sooner or later. And uh, let's just keep this thing rolling, keep everybody psyched. I'm also really pleased that this gets out across the nation, and it gets out actually at this point around the world. And... The fact that folks who maybe live in these places out in the Midwest or or some other places where they can't get out to climb all the time or they have to take their couple of weeks here and there to get out and do stuff that you guys get inspiration from this, that is an awesome compliment to me. So anyway, enough of my gushing, I guess. We will uh, get on with the show here, but thanks so much for listening. On today's show is Kate Rutherford, who I've known for a little while and She's come on the scene well into my climbing career, so I've been able to kind of watch her career from the very beginning. And one thing that comes across in this interview is that Kate climbs, you know, for all the right reasons. She's in love with it. She's in love with the natural world, and she's in love with adventure. And her humble attitude and her attitudes towards climbing are just a real inspiration that she can remain so down to earth with so much talent. And I really enjoyed having a nice, simple conversation with Kate. So here it is, Kate Rutherford. Okay, well, hey Kate, how's it going? Good, how are you guys? Good, good morning. Doing this over coffee, it's a little bit different than the normal uh, booze, I know. booze, you got any, booze things. Any Bailey's or something to drop in there? 
You don't look like we can need that after this. After the last three days, I definitely don't no, need any more. I don't so. need any more. I'm done. We're in. Uh, <laughs> we're at City Park in Lander, Wyoming, uh, at the very tail end of the Climber Fest. Uh, what the nineteenth, two thousand twelve. City Park's cool. They let you camp in City Park in Lander. I think all year. I don't think it's just a special thing for this. No, I think you're right. It's yeah. really nice. I've been sleeping down by the river. Like yeah. leave the tailgate open. It's mm-hmm. deluxe. It's there's a ton of shade. It's totally sweet. So if you come to Lander, you always have this bivy here in town. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, I invited Kate into the mobile studio. I brought it all the way to Lander just for you. This is the only interview I'm doing in here. So, And I got a $140 speeding ticket on the way. No, I just got a $240 speeding ticket last week. Jesus. Lucky how yes. fast were you going? 85. In a 65. 20. Yeah. But it was. it changed to 75 in like two minutes after... I got pulled over. Where I was were you? Pissed on the Oregon Idaho border, uh-huh. like nowhere. Yeah, with what a kind big of, flat open downhill section. Right. What kind of plates you were running? Washington. Yeah, they were like, "This chick's never coming back to dispute this." I know. <laughs> but the guy, the cop was actually pretty nice. He told me I could like take the traffic school online and like maybe get it waved. And, oh really? So I'm gonna try. But yeah, my guy was to nice too, but he he just said, "Well, you were 15 over, and you, I got to give you the ticket." And he was laughing because I said, yeah, it's pretty funny I'm getting a ticket in this thing. <laughs> right. And you'd think it'd be hard. It was 45 and I was going 45 and 35. So, And I was just, I was looking at those flashing <laughs> signs that tell you how fast you're going. And I'm, it was the middle of the night going through Meeker, Colorado. Totally my fault because all those towns, you got to slow down. Right. You never know. And I was like, wow, that, that says I'm going 45 and my speedometer says I'm going 50. I'm like, my speedometer's totally fucked up. And then... Right as I said that, I out of the other corner of my eye, my headlights flashed across the decal of the cop car sitting there in the dark, and I was like, uh-oh, and then lights went on. So anyway, but it's pretty proud that this thing got a speeding ticket. Yeah, for sure. You know? That's so. really good. Well, thanks for bringing it down. Yeah. I did, we didn't have to do it in here. We no, no, no. I brought else. it down just because it's- And you can sleep in it. It's a beautiful uh, art object is why I brought it. <laughs> it was. I thought maybe you could talk about it in your-, in your uh, our yeah, presentation you've really day. put it together in here. It's so elegant. So we, as usual, were trying to figure out uh, how I we've met. I'm guessing it was down in Indian Creek at one point. I think that's probably Back the case. Back in maybe a Thanksgiving party days. <laughs> Could have, have been. Yeah. Probably 2000, early 2000s. Yeah. Before 2005, probably. And then we um, almost went on a trip together. I know. You would have hated it, but it would have been really fun to be there with you. <laughs> Well, thanks. Um, I have a feeling that without sort of sounding immodest that, yes, I could have brought a certain levity to a situation that maybe needed some. Uh, but yeah, your trip to Namibia, um, I was originally slated to go on that. And I didn't because it was right. It moved to right in the middle of my work season. And I right, couldn't, I couldn't disappear good. for that kind of thing. So Yeah. Um, but it was a really cool trip. Yeah. Super beautiful. And a, kind of a wild cultural experience, I'm sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was neat. It was really fun. And nice granite in the end, once right. we found it. Once you found it. We had to drive to <laughs> hell and back to get right. there. But, um, yeah, in the end, it was stunning. So, And it was in the shade, which is really important, it turns Yeah, out. in the middle of Namibian <laughs> desert. Yeah. It's important to be in the shade. Who knew? Yeah, so. I know. Well, I missed that trip, but oh well. Um, someday we'll go on a trip together, I hope. Yeah, um, we should. We have a lot of mutual friends. and um, But I invited Katie because, uh, for one thing, you know, she's a super famous climber. But actually, more interestingly to me is she's got this really fantastic backstory, and um, I found out about it by talking to your dad um, one lovely evening in Indian Creek. Over some fancy whiskey. Over some lovely scotch. Yeah. And uh, 
enough that when I stood up to go, because we were sitting in your sprinter van, when I stood up to leave, I just about face planted out the door. <laughs> One of those. I think it was a whole body of Le- bottle of Laphroaig or something. Yes, it was really nice. Yeah, it was yeah. really nice. And so your dad is, is super fantastic, and and I had a great he time is. talking to him. But he started filling me in on sort of how you grew up. So right. can you can you run us through <clears throat> that? Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel really lucky that I pretty much grew up in the Alaska bush. My folks have, you know, instilled this really adventuresome spirit in me. And so they started that out by um, having a homesteading ticket in um, interior Alaska. And they went and surveyed a little piece of land up above this beaver pond. So when I was six months old, we drove up to Alaska and started building on this little piece of ridge. My dad and some of his friends cut down all the trees and drug them down to the house site. And uh, yeah, I think it took them a year and a half to build the cabin. And um, it's like 20 by 20. It's super lovely. Um, it's still there. It's all chinked with moss, you know, from 30 years ago. And that's still totally in place and everything's safe and dry. And um it's this perfect little time machine, actually. It's really fascinating. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre to go out there. But yeah, I mean, pretty much they're totally nuts. And um, we lived in a wall tent the first winter um, out there on the house site. And um, I just heard this from my mom a couple of days ago that they built me this little like platform, like this little portal edge basically above their bed. And mm-hmm. I mean, a tiny little wall tent, right? And so, you know, they're they're sick of like having their baby in the bed and it's not big enough anyway. And so I had this like little tiny platform nest like right above them. So, so you were already been in a portal. So I think I was, I've been, I've been, been happy in ledges for my whole life. Did you say how, how old you were when you guys moved out there? We started driving to Alaska when I was six months old. My okay. folks were there when in Alaska when they got pregnant and then like couldn't quite figure out how that was going to, Workout. So they had friends that owned a sheep ranch in um, Roundup, Montana. And so they went to Montana to work on the sheep ranch for the winter. And, um, and allow you to gestate. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and so I was born in a one-room schoolhouse in Roundup, Montana in the middle of the winter. In 1894? <laughs> yeah. Could have been. That's what it sounds like. Sounds I like know. a little house in the parade. It totally is. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you could say my folks were pretty willing to adventure Mm -hmm. um on sort of every level right so so yeah so then we moved back to alaska and um the cabin is about 10 miles outside of toke junction to the west and then you park on the side of the highway and you walk for like 45 minutes to the tanana river which is this big like you know four lane freeway wide boiling river of like chocolate milk colored water mm-hmm. and um and there's a canoe stashed there and paddle across the river um which is kind of intense and then you walk up the hill like i don't know 20 minutes half an hour or something you kind of skirt around this big meadow and get up on the ridge and walk through the cranberry bog and i don't know <laughs> end up at the little cabin so it's kind of um it's kind of out there not kind of <laughs> All right, so how long did you did you live there? Um, I, More or less. So my dad was a wildfire 
fighter in the summers. And so we would actually be in town in the summer and Mm -hmm. then spend all winter out at the cabin. So, um, and we did that for five years, that sort of cycle. And then it was time for me to go to kindergarten. And so we moved into Toke and built another super cool log cabin. And um, yeah, so then I lived in Toke until I was about 12. So Toke's really small. So you lived out this thing in the wintertime. Yeah, just in the winter. Right. Which you would think maybe is like the opposite of what normal people would do. Right. But it, uh, yeah, I think it was just the winter. Right. Must have been. Right. It's a little foggy. Well, you were (laughs) five, six years old. So you guys are running dog sleds too? So running dog sleds, which is a great way to commute in Alaska in the winter. Right. we would float a lot of stuff in, like a lot of provisions for mm-hmm. the winter in on in these big canoes in the summer or the fall. And then there's like a cache built um, right on the riverbank. So, it, you know, it's like 40 feet up in the air, like, you know, all these metal, sheet metal around the bottom so, so the bears can't climb up. This cache is the cutest thing on the planet. It's like a little tiny log house on top of stilts with this big ladder to get to it. So anyway, you like boat all the supplies in put them in the cache and then you wait until it's winter time when you have the dog sled and then you get the stuff out of the cache and put it in the dog sled and then you can like run the dogs up the hill so you don't actually like have to backpack every right. ounce of granola in or whatever sure this is so. very well thought out yeah <laughs> maybe right somebody's done it before right so yeah i mean who knows how they learned how to do all this stuff it's pretty impressive you just probably learn how to do it because yeah. the first time you carried all that shit up the hill you were Whoa, like this is, this is something we gotta kind of get around somehow yeah. <laughs> my little brother was born when i was three and so we'd get all bundled up and they'd like wrap us up in a sleep bag and then put all these like caribou hides over the top and you get all wrapped up and kind of tied in often there'd be two dog teams and, right um, and this is the 1980s yeah so yeah. i was born I mean, in 81 so right. this is probably like right. this is this 82 is not to like, 85 like 1922 or anything <laughs> right. right no i mean there is standard technology but we're still like <laughs> well I, you know I dog imagine... sleds are still built with like sinew because right. it like flexes and mm-hmm. you know and is brilliant right. caribou stuff. hides or caribou hides right. that keep There's, you warm either way yeah, yeah. and they shed the snow and mm-hmm. yeah whatever we had them i mean mm-hmm. they're Way better than nylon for some things. Right. Don't tell Patagonia that. <laughs> yeah. Yvonne would be pissed. Well, there you go. You, that you could spearhead their new line. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sustainable caribou hide jackets. Peter um, would have a Peter would have a, would have a shit fit. So yeah. let's stay away from that. No. Anyway. <laughs> so you, you're you're out there till you're twelve, and then you move into town. No. I mean, out no. There you're out there five. at five. Then you move into town to go to kindergarten. Yeah. In the winter. My kindergarten teacher's name was Mrs. Crayon. <laughs> that was almost the only thing I remember from kindergarten. But like, how rad is that? That like, hi kids, my name is Mrs. Cran. We're gonna do some drawings today. Here's your back box of Crayolas. Like, that's anyway, pretty cool. She was actually a really good teacher. How big is this town? Um, there's a thousand people in the surrounding area. My class, probably when I started kindergarten, might have been like 25 kids. Uh-huh. So you are out of there. Where'd you go when you, when you split? We you moved to-, to Washington State. So okay. we moved to Vashon Island, which is right off the sort of southwestern part of Seattle. Okay. So Quite a change. Quite a change, but it was kind of a good 
sort of stepping stone. Like, it's not that big. It's still pretty rural. You have to take a ferry to get there. So, uh-huh. you know, there's probably 12,000 people on the island. Um, and, but that being said, there's really good access to Seattle. So in 20 minutes, you can be a fully cultured, like, big sure. city. Sure. Which was pretty neat to still be in a rural zone, but actually have access to sort of the more interesting parts of life. Okay, so now let's bring it down to uh, where where did climbing come into it? I mean, besides the, the <laughs> right. pre-toddler pre so, portal edge. Right, besides the toddler <laughs> portal edge and like walking. So every time they would put a new ring of logs on the cabin, I would I would need to walk around it. So I like walked like every, you know, layer of logs. And there's lots of them because they're only like six inches in diameter. Um but anyway, so I, like by the end, like my dad's, you know, got his arm outstretched, like holding my hand while I'm like uh-huh. walking along the top. And why would you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Just for the like, uh, you I mean, had I don't actually do remember doing oh, okay. this, but the, there's like pictures, pictures and like this you. is the story. Like, right. I just really thought that was a great idea. Uh huh. Anyway, so um, as far as climbing goes, my folks had climbed some when they were young, different mm-hmm. amounts. Like my mom. Still to this day, totally idolizes um, Willie Unsold, and um, she was on you know a all female attempt. I think the first all female attempt at Mount Rainier, and they didn't actually summit. But um, anyway, so that it's sort of part of the lore. Like my dad climbed in Yosemite in high school. Okay, and, um, the lore. Your life it has <laughs> my life, lore. It's my life sweet. lore. Like you know, it's like <laughs> this is part of my life that. I don't really know, but that has affected me. And so, sure. you know, climbing was sort of like something that people did. And so I knew what it was. And then, um, you know, I was probably like 12 or 13 and my stepmom took us to this lake and like set up a top rope on this like big boulder that goes down to the lake. And so whatever, we went climbing, right? I guess. Um, and it was super fun, whatever. Right. Um and then I had a friend in high school who climbed. He got shipped off to um, boarding school in uh, Oregon. And so he ended up climbing competitively and like climbing at Smith Rocks a bunch. Uh-huh. And um, and that was in middle school. And he came back and we would go climbing sometimes. So I think when I was 14, I went on an outward bound trip. And okay. um, I my folks had done that also. And so they were psyched to encourage me to do, do that and just have this like – you know, big wild experience sort of without them. Mm-hmm. And I found this course that um, started in the LaSalle's. I flew in Grand Junction and we hiked up and over the LaSalle's and like basically down all the way into Moab and into Cataract Canyon. And then uh-huh. we floated right. um, the Cataract Canyon. So along the way, like when we came down out of the LaSalle's, there's some like little tiny granite crag that I'm sure... I would never recognize nor go to again. (laughs) A granite cliff. I think so. Huh. I wonder what that's all about. Maybe not. It might be tucked in there somewhere. I mean, it was kind of like a large boulder in the forest. Right. In the middle of nowhere. Okay. But anyway, so we're like climbing in our hiking boots and, um, you know, we're all on top rope and, but I like really liked it. The instructors on that course were super encouraging and they're like, hey, you're actually really good at this and... I just was way into it. And they, like, blindfolded us so we could, like... Classic. You know, yeah. whatever. I would never go climbing blindfolded now. <laughs> well, it's this thing with us... Because I was a guide and we used to do that. It's like... But in fact, like, it was really cool. Sure. And... um, It has these theories behind what it'll do. But in a lot of ways, it's just to get another 
couple hours out of the same climb. Exactly. Yeah. And so, with I mean, there was like three yeah. climbs, you know, yeah. so whatever. And um, there was something that was kind of like, you know, it might have been like 11A or I mean, there was something that was like kind of hard and like I obviously didn't crush it in my hiking boots, but like I got to the top and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like that was really cool. Like that was really hard for me and I liked it, you mm-hmm. know, and so it was just sort of a interesting, I mean, who knows why we like climbing, but it really struck me as something I needed to do more of. So and, you're, you're, would you say you're 14? I think I was 14. So what, let me f- ask you this, like, you know, you, so you're in high school, like what kind, just real quick, like what kind of kid are you? And are you like, um, you know, you get along <laughs> with your folks? Did you like get all rebellious? Did you do any of those sorts of things? Yeah, I was, just curious. I, was a, I was a pretty good kid. Right. Um, I mean, teenagers have issues. Yeah, I mean, I definitely but... like slammed the door in my mom's face and okay. like, had to go apologize. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in middle school, I was definitely like, you guys are so weird. Like, I don't want to be around you. Right. You know. But at the same time, like, I had, like, as a family, we had done so much cool stuff together. Like. Sure. You know, like, driven from Alaska to Baja to, like, right. go camp on the beach. And, you know, of course, my little brother and I are fighting, like, cats and dogs in the back seat, and they have to pull over. So my parents are standing outside the car on the freeway, like, in California, waiting for my brother and I to stop fighting. So, like, totally normal family, right? Right, right. <laughs> but, I mean, we've done all this crazy stuff together. And so on some level, I do have some respect for them and what they've done and, like, mm-hmm. think I'm lucky that I, like, learned to play in the woods at a young age mm-hmm. and you know, whatever, the whole nine yards. Like, I realized it was unique, but then I thought it was really weird. And then, you know, and so it was interesting, like, going to new school, you know, after being in Alaska and having that story to tell people and sort of figuring out how to gauge how much of that story I should tell or sure. not. You know, yeah, and, like, trying to like... be a cool kid, but yeah, I'm not really a cool kid because I'm, like, a dork from the Alaska bush, but... Right, you know, no, so no, I can, that's kind of why I asked because you, you, I mean, I taught high school and right, you it's know, it weird. can go either way. Like yeah. they can, some kids can be like, "That's the coolest thing ever," and some kids can be like, "Right, it makes me want to punch her in the eye." <laughs> yeah, so so or your bro- I would imagine <clears throat> in a lot of ways it would, and it maybe be tougher for bo- for boys to yeah. deal with that. He was so. really quiet, and um, yeah, he he rebelled a little bit more than I did. Um, so anyway, but I was like really skinny. Like, like, well, you've you've gained a lot of weight yeah. since then. Actually, uh, it was worse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like really scrawny, like long blonde hair, like kind of looked like a stork. Um, it all, and were you, you it were already felt, an artist? It all felt fairly easy. Um, yeah, like actually, you know, when you're at the cabin in the bush and there's a lot of snow on the ground and it's dark out for you know right. 50, 15, like, most of the day, day yeah. um, you end up doing lots of art projects. So am I? Mom especially is really artistic. I mean, she was way into calligraphy in college, and she's an amazing watercolorist and super creative. And So anyway, that was like easy entertainment mm-hmm. for our little family in the winter. Yeah, so I've been making art on some level, like however sucky it was since I was really young. Yeah, I don't know. I played soccer. I rode on right. crew. Like, so I was a pretty average person. I snowboarded a lot, a lot, a lot. My dad would take us out of school on powder days and be like, uh, call Julia's mom to see if she wants to come. Right on. <laughs> Grown skiing. So. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're cruising through your whole backstory here. So you right. went to CC, to you went climbing. to Colorado college right. in, in, uh, in, that's where in, I learned um, to climb in Colorado, Colorado Springs. Springs, a hotbed of, of <laughs> current women climbers. Indeed. Yeah. 
Yeah. So so after this outward bound course in Utah, I really wanted to be closer to the Red Desert. That was super obvious to me, which is great. You got to make choices somehow. So I started looking at schools and a friend, a family friend took me to the Colorado College and, and um, the block system, the like way that the school is structured mm-hmm. was super interesting to me in many ways. A, because you get all these long weekends once a month you get a five-day weekend and b because like these classes the the professor basically owns your life for the month and like they can take you to utah they to go study geology you know i mean i went to the chiricahuas for bird watching you know and ornithology like so the potential for like outdoor education on like the college level was really exciting for me like i wanted to go play outside and learn stuff so it was I mean, like, in the end, it was a really obvious choice. I was like, why did I apply to go anywhere else? Right. It's a dream come true kind of setup. Yeah. I, mean, I know a lot of people have gone there, and, and whether they're climbers or kayakers or yeah. whatever they're into in the outdoors, it just seems like the system works really well, but also it's really encouraged. Yeah. And, they, and they, you know, they've they've a lot of really strong athletes that people have heard of have come out of that college. And, and, and we have kind of a conduit in Carbondale because of uh, the, Col- the Rocky Mountain, Mountain School. Yeah. Colorado Rocky Mountain School is sort of a like high school version of that, and, yeah. the, and a lot of kids end up end up cruising off to that college totally. specifically. So, plus it's you know yeah, right in state. Away. So yeah, yeah. My so. little brother was there while I was in Colorado Springs. Oh, he so was? was kind of fun. I could huh. yeah go visit him. Huh. Interesting. He got kicked out a few times. <laughs> yeah, you know they have that issue over well, there. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to. I was about yeah. to say. I probably saw him stoned <laughs> in the aisles of City Market once or probably. twice. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, I'll take that out. Um, uh, yeah, do. <laughs> well, let's get to the climbing. So, when does this kick into gear? Okay, so I went to the Colorado College, and I knew there was climbers there. And day one, I started asking around. And I was like, "Hey, I'll buy you a beer if you like put the rope up and show me how to do this." You'll buy him a beer. How old are you? I'll find someone to buy you beer. How's that? Quint. I should stop telling that story. You're you're probably a good-looking 18-year-old. You probably could have bought beer. (laughs) Okay, so how else can we say that? (laughs) Like, I'll buy you dinner if you put the rope up for me. Right. I'll Um, hook you up with, with some sort of food, beverage, uh, right combination i'll make it worth your while <laughs> if you teach me how to rock climb um so yeah i mean that that was how it went i totally like looked for those folks and you know did whatever i could become you know part of their clan mm-hmm. and um and and actually i i can't say that i progressed super fast you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um but it was great like these i have a handful of great mentors from college um my friend Toby Carmen is like one of my ultimate heroes and he came from a family that lived in the Tetons and they like climbed, uh, you know, since day, day one, you know? And so like he'd been up the Grand Teton when he was like four or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he had this great like mountaineering background um, and was a good just crack climber and whatever. So he was sort of like my trad mentor and he's like, okay, you never fall. <laughs> like, this is how you, you know, belay multi-pitch climbs like here's how you build anchors and so he and his friends had a really 
strong base and a ton of experience. Mm -hmm. And so that went a long way to just be able to like ask the questions, you know, like, I don't get it. Like, why are we doing this? And just be able to observe and be like, okay, I'll do it like that, you know? Right. So, um, so I mean, I guess I kind of cheated. Like I had great teachers. That's not cheating. That's the way it's supposed to work. (laughs) Well, I know, but I I talked to a lot of people and they're like, oh yeah, me and my friend, we didn't know what we were doing. We went out and like messed up everything in the book and, you know, we Mm -hmm. survived somehow, but like, here we are. Right. There's, I'm like, there's wow, different I'm, paths. I'm glad I didn't have to do that. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I feel fortunate that I had like really great. They have a strong teachers. alpine club there too. Were you part of that? One? Not really it's alpine. Not really club. an alpine club, but they have a yeah. strong outdoors club. And right. yeah, like I was totally right. part of that. Yeah. I was, you know, I went through the training. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. all do our woofer and like mm-hmm. take students out, and yeah. and it's a great way to facilitate students sure. taking other students out. You know, they mm-hmm. like rental vans for people and do all the organization, and so yeah, that was an amazing resource so um yeah and then colorado is great you know there's climbing all year round like we go to shelf road in the winter and you know you go after class and but i still skied and snowboarded a lot and the way the classes work there like sometimes you can play a lot and like sometimes you're in lab until like midnight you know it really fluctuated a lot for me and like what um, were you studying what did i you get studied biology on? and an art minor okay. and um so between the two of those it was actually quite time consuming like having chemistry labs you know isn't necessarily conducive to going climbing a lot and same with art it's the actually Colorado college is odd in the art world because you have to produce a lot in a very short amount of time you're mm-hmm. like okay go home today and do five paintings you're like right uh, so on some level, I totally learned to climb in college, but I I didn't. Julia Niles, for example, we never went climbing together. She's like, I didn't even realize you climbed. Like, you know, there was like right. this sort of. Well, um, it's not the tiniest school in the world. It's not the tiniest school in the world. And Julia was a year older than me and like way hotter and way more badass. So, you know, she, she was more advanced. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it was great. Like there was all these rad women like Julia Niles who, you know, were totally sending through college you know julia was guiding in the mountains you know Mm -hmm. when i was like learning to climb and Mm -hmm. so it was super cool to be able to watch her and the lifestyle that she had created for herself and like how much she got to travel and climb and it was super inspiring to have folks like that to watch whether or not i actually got to climb with them at the time i was like a pretty good student i kind of was into that i really liked biology um and and i also skied a lot and then after school I had one of the coolest biology jobs in the world. Like I had this internship in the Grand Canyon where I went out and would look for bighorn sheep. And most of the bighorns or the easiest way to find the bighorns was to float down the Grand Canyon, you know. And so I went on two trips down the Grand Canyon with the Park Service um, to look for bighorns, which like isn't that hard, it turns out. Like you basically just like hang out and look at the scenery. Right. So – Really cool job. At some point um, in this interview, you're going to have to tell me something bad that's happened to you. So <laughs> just keep it in mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, somehow you're pretty, like, I'm like you're pretty nailing kind life. Of having, pretty... Yeah, I live a charmed <laughs> life for sure. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, I'm not criticizing. <laughs> um, I was climbing with like the Flagstaff crew when I could, which would like entail slacking on my job, which was the coolest job on the planet. And so that was kind of odd to me. They were like, huh, like, why am I not fully committed to like the coolest biology job I could ever want? Uh-huh. Um, 
So that was sort of interesting. And so basically I had the coolest job ever in the Grand Canyon and realized that I needed to go back to school if I really wanted to pursue biology anyway. And um, so I gave myself five years to go climbing in first. And uh, How long ago was that? A long time ago. <laughs> Probably eight or nine years ago. Okay. Well, that's fine. So, yeah. So I gave myself yeah. five years and um, it was really working out for me. Like yeah, I had- really, It's awesome that you were like so- self-aware to be like yeah this isn't you know right a balance i want to find it's actually i need to go right it was hard like a, on this I which really... is it's courageous in a sense yeah well i don't know about that well, no i mean and it, <laughs> i think because a lot of people in all sorts of ways in their lives feel like you know i have to do a little bit of everything or i have to find these you know, it's a word you find balance right. or compromise, but a lot of times that word balance can end up meaning, uh, I'm not or... quite in both. I'm mean, a little bit in each, but not fully in both, Yeah, which seems like the proper thing to do. You know, I think that's what we're sort of preached at, you know, you mm-hmm. got, but that you were like, okay, I'm just going to go hard on this one thing. Is... I, yeah, I really wanted to do one thing. Well, right. you know, it's like. I could probably be a brilliant biologist if I wanted to be, but um, you know, I figure I could do that later once my body. Is well, and you know, I can only <laughs> imagine that it's it's tied to your youth. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to start there because it's fascinating, but also, you know, it's like there's your parents. The same thing. We're not gonna we're not gonna dabble in this thing. We're gonna go <laughs> out into the woods. We're gonna build this cabin, and this is what we're going to do. Yeah. We're not going to like have a summer place where we go for two weeks. Right. So, I mean, there you go. You've got this like background of like, if we're going to go and have this authentic experience, then we're going to go have this authentic experience. Yeah, for sure. And, and I and I have a lot of support from them in that way, which is huge. Yeah, you know? I'm sure your, like, your dad was like, no, you need to get a nine to five job. <laughs> yeah, he is like so jealous of my life. It's awesome. And I don't I, mean, I keep bringing up your dad and not your mom because I don't know her. And I only have no, the context of having hung out with your dad. So She's great, too. I mean, yeah. she is like the most loving, like generous, you know, like community oriented um, person. And, you know, and it's great. Like I have huge influences in my life from mm-hmm, both of them. Mm-hmm. It's super cool. Like my dad was a biologist. My mom was an artist. You know, they both love nature and the land mm-hmm. that we all live in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, re- and well, I can only imagine they're really proud of you. They're pretty proud. It's and kind of like embarrassing sometimes like, how proud they are. This is what we set out to produce. <laughs> right. You know? And... Well, let me... Okay, so let's go to this five years. So you're, you're, you're dropping in. This we is don't have to go like saying... moment by moment, but um, this is where you're sort of becoming uh, a better rock climber and, and an alpinist. Right. And so what's sort of the progression, if you could sum it up and you right. know, I imagine what, you're off to Yosemite, you're off to, to, yep, to climb so... big walls, you're... Yeah, so I went to. So after the Grand Canyon, I. Doesn't um, matter if it's right or not. We can just get an. I know. Anyway, I went after the Grand Canyon. I went to Yosemite. So you're like road dogging it now. I mean, you're you're. Yeah. So after. So I graduated from college. Went to the Grand Canyon for like three months in the middle of summer, Mm -hmm. which is a horrible time to climb in the Mm -hmm. North America. Anyway, so it was. Good timing. And then after that, I have a Toyota Tacoma pickup and I moved into my truck Mm -hmm. and I drove to Yosemite and um, sort of met the community that like inspired me 
to keep doing this. You know, like a huge international community, um, you know, people that love to climb 100% of the time and sacrificed everything for it. Or just, right. I mean, they didn't sacrifice everything, but, you know, every breath was like, towards climbing sure and being part of that community and um you know it's total ragtag community there in mm-hmm. camp four or it was mm-hmm. back then and um it continues to be yeah and it's almost eternal i um you know met really fun characters there was a bunch of Colorado college friends that um you know were part of that little time and so so i was in yosemite for maybe three weeks and then it was sort of like indian creek season and then um i spent the whole fall in Indian Creek and it was like the worst Creek season ever. It was snowy and freezing. And anyway, um, that's probably where I met you because I that, I that was there for a long time. Well, and that, I, I remember that one. Time, I think that the Thanksgiving I met you was one of those like survival really? Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. weeks of like, yeah, everybody just shivering. Yeah. Like, this is great. Like, this is great. It's now. eight o'clock yeah. quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, well, yay. We can finally go to bed. It's past right. eight. And and I had really learned to crack climb at Indian Creek, and mm-hmm. so it's forever has a special place mm-hmm. in my heart, and it's one of my favorites. So that was super cool to be there. I met a bunch of fun people from California. Um, like I had all these school friends that eventually left me because it was so snowy and rainy, and they're like, oh, we're going back to Jackson where our boyfriends live and the skiing's good. And I was like, mm, okay, I'm going to stay here. So <clears throat> from there I went to Joshua Tree after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and then um, – I had committed to a job in the Tetons that winter. Um, I was a lifty at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, and uh, that was like my last season in snow sports pretty much. After that, I was just like, you know what? And it was a bad season for that, too. It was like a really snowy fall and then like a really hot spring, and like the snow sucked, and I was – yeah, I was lifty, and that was kind of brutal. It kind if, of crushed my gonna, soul. Yeah, if anything's <laughs> going to suck your love of skiing out of you, yeah, it's, that, that's it's it. being a lifty. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know what? Some people love it, but it was totally not for me. And, like, I just really wanted to be climbing, you know? Like, sure. Um, I totally took a week off to go back to the creek in the spring, and I came back, and the ski patroller comes up to me, who I don't even know, and he's, like, this old kind of grizzly, gruff-looking guy. He's like, take off your gloves. I was kind of like freaked out, like, you know, a little young thing. And I take out my glove and he's, I have like multiple gobies. He's like, okay, good. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, whoa, okay. That was super random. But like, you know, I totally just got praised for like having gobies on my hand. Like nice. that's a different thing. Like right. that hadn't happened to me before. So yeah, Jackson, was, the Tetons weren't working out for me. I needed more proper rock climbing. And so, um, from there, I actually kind of started pounding nails. Well, I did a little bit of outdoor education. I worked for naturalists at large for a little while because I could be in California. But, like, I was getting paid, like, 50 bucks a day, and then I would just spend that on, like, driving to Yosemite. So that wasn't mm-hmm. really working out very well. And um, But climbed in Yosemite a lot. Then um, I needed to make a bunch of money, so I started pounding nails um, to make enough cash so I could go to Asia with these two high school buddies of mine that climbed. And... Um, we wanted to go to Halong Bay and go climbing. One of them's a photographer and one of them's a brilliant musician and climber. And um, so I'm like, I get this whole Asia trip plan and I fly to Japan for three weeks first and then I'm going to meet them in southern Vietnam. And so like the day before I get on the plane, I get this email and they're like, Kate, 
We just bought two motorcycles. We're looking for a third one of the same brand, and we're going to ride motorcycles to Halong Bay. And I've never ridden a motorcycle before, so I was like, huh. But, like, you know, email is email, and I get on the plane, and I show up, and they pick me up at the airport. And, um, you know, I, I hadn't even had time to email them that I don't actually know how to ride a motorcycle. And so whatever, like, here we go. And um, I learned to ride this little bonus 125. It kind of looks like a standard motorcycle, but it's mm-hmm. pretty small and um, in the dark, in the rain, in Saigon, you know. And, uh, anyway, whatever, we slap, slap our climbing packs on the back and drove like the inland route all the way up to Holland Bay. It took us like two weeks. It was epic. It was like really, I mean, like I dropped my bike like so many times, you know, <laughs> like finally learned how to like lean into corners and stuff. And that was exciting. And like, it was totally the most dangerous thing I've probably to this day ever done. In my oh, life. I, mean, I cannot. Insane. I mean, even if you know how to ride a motorcycle, riding yeah. one in those countries, it's crazy. It's just, it's but at least everybody else is riding them too, and so it's like they're all kind of the same size right. vehicles. Like, except for yeah. theirs have five people on them. Yeah, we saw some scary stuff for sure. <laughs> and a pig, yeah. strapped to the back. <laughs> so that was wild. By the time we got to Halong Bay, we were like so out of shape that we couldn't do anything. <laughs> but whatever, it was great. Um, spent a couple weeks there, and then. Um, Went to Laos and tried to go climbing there a little mm-hmm. bit too. And then, uh, yeah. So that was like my first big international climbing trip. And it was so rad. And it was mm-hmm. so just like, I mean, on some level, it was really easy. Mm-hmm. Like, we just went and did whatever we wanted to do. And, you know, were received like really well in general by people that like we really couldn't communicate mm-hmm. very well with. And, you know, played charades and laughed a whole bunch with all these people that, you know, they're trying to teach us how to speak Vietnamese and like, sure. You know, in every town, and you say the word a little different. Right. No, so, it's, it's a we- the Western brain is. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's rough to get those languages. For but sure. um, and I mean, I've traveled internationally a fair bit, like with my family when I was mm-hmm. young, like mm-hmm. whatever, through my life. But it was really cool to have like climbing be um the impetus and the, sort of the way to interact with well, the community over there. Right. And when I explain that to my sort of family and stuff, it. It is nice to ha- I, like. I couldn't just go to a country and wander around, right? As a tourist, and I can plug that on the front or end of a climbing trip, right? Because it's cool to see right. that stuff. But the cool thing about climbing is that it takes you to these far away places, yeah, and exactly. and off the beaten path, and you can stay on the beaten path for a while. But it, it you know, it's yeah. just a nice. I've always found it to be yeah, this like okay, where am I going? I'm going to go for the climbing, but I'm also going to be there for everything else. So right. It's exactly. kind of the same. Yeah. But it's not as so aimless. I'm, we're, yeah. All of us climbers, we're not, <laughs> we're, we're not aimless people, you know? So. Right. Well, we would be if we didn't have climbing, maybe. Right. <laughs> That's my point, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a cooler way to interact with people. You know, you show up and, you know, people are like, why are you here? And you're like, well, you guys have the like coolest piece of granite in Venezuela or whatever you know mm-hmm. like um and it's like, like an honor do? to them you we know even though they don't realize it you're <laughs> like i yes i did travel all the way across the right. world because you have this beautiful sure. wall in your backyard right literally sometimes in their backyard 
Like, yeah. No, like all is, like all right. the time. <laughs> you mean that <laughs> That's thing? That's how it is. That I've stared at my whole life. You guys <laughs> yeah. are here to, because of that. Yeah, exactly. So so I really like that part. Cool. I mean, it's a great way to interact with people. Well, let's um I want to get to uh your your association with um Patagonia because I think a lot of people who know your career and know you now as a as a professional climber, we go right to that. Um so you've spent uh you said last night in your presentation five seasons down there and you mm-hmm. actually have sort of a little home base down there now and finally ended up doing a new route down there this last season as well. So when did you first go there and when did you decide like this is going to be my version of the Alaskan bush for my <laughs> life for now? I met Mikey Schaefer in Yosemite probably mm-hmm. in 2005 or something like that. And um, he became like my great climbing partner. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I had always seen images of Patagonia and been like super blown away by the Fitzroy range. And, um, you know, since I started climbing big walls, like that seemed like the obvious thing to do was to go to this beautiful Alpine range and climb big walls down there. So Mikey had already been to Patagonia, really wanted to go back. And, um, we ended up falling into this project with, uh, Jim Danini and David Rosenstein, and they were going to make a documentary of Jim climbing, um, a new route on the North Pillar of Fitzroy. Okay. We got hired to go rig, basically, for this little documentary piece that sort of, I don't think has come to fruition. But um, So anyway, that was how I went down the first time. We went for 10 weeks, which is way too long to go <laughs> suffer in the rain. But um, we went before Christmas, and we didn't see the mountains for three weeks. Right. And uh, that was pretty mind-blowing for me. I mean, I had never gone to a place with such horrible weather and like been kind of shut down like that i mean uh-huh. in alaska the weather's bad but the objectives that i'd had in my youth like whatever going fishing or boating or hiking or camping or whatever like it didn't really matter if it was raining sure but when you're rock climbing you know in the alpine like no you don't go climbing in the storm so so that was a big challenge for me to like sit in a tent for three weeks like mm-hmm. i kind of started losing the plot but julia and alice showed up which was really fun and we entertained each other um so we attempted to climb the north pillar of fitzroy a handful of times that trip Mm -hmm. um a bunch of laps you know serious slogging up and down um the piedra negra paso quadrada approach to the backside of fitzroy and uh it was really physically hard for me like i'm a pretty small person and we had all these huge static lines and like Oh, I totally got my butt kicked. Like, it was epic. Um, But anyway, we didn't climb anything. I mean, we climbed a bunch of pitches, but we didn't summit anything that year at all, Um, which is fine. Like, that's totally what happens. And the next year, I hurt my back really bad. I was on Tuolumne Sar doing a bunch of rescues. And, like, after hiking so much in Patagonia, I think it was just ready. I mean, it was fatigued already. And then I blew out a disc in my back. So that next year, I didn't go back to Patagonia because I needed to rehab. So that was the one year out of the last six that I hadn't been there. After that, like, then I was hooked. I, like, really wanted to climb Fitzroy. So, um... Right. That... So you're, like, this classic thing of where <laughs> you're getting your ass handed to you and you're you're suffering horribly. And yet... Right. Every time you go back, you, 
or come home, you want to go back. Right. Well, sort of. Every so year I would come back and say, I'm never going back right. down there. But then, you know, like six months go past. And it's like, what was oh. Kevin's type two fun exactly. last night? Exactly. Type so. two fun is the kind of fun where it's only fun after you left. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, wow, that was fun. That was fun. Wow, I should do that again. And I mean, just so beautiful. Like, I'm sure. way into being out in those beautiful places mm-hmm. and climbing is a great conduit for that. And like waking up on ledges, like looking out at territory to one side mm-hmm. and like the eastern step to the other side. It's like so powerful how beautiful beautiful. You know, it is. as jokingly or funny as you said that about your little portal ledge in the <laughs> cabin. It's it's gotta be in your brain. It must be. Because I love waking up like, in little tiny Wild yeah, and places. like to be all sort of <laughs> swaddled up in your little portal edge is yeah. probably this like really deep internal memory that you have. I'm not joking around. I mean, no, I bet I you know. it's in there. I think it is. Yeah. I'm so excited. I learned that story a couple weeks ago. That was applicable. Um, it's like the womb. You know, people say we have these sorts of. <laughs> right. You know, it's built into to, your. Affinity to like heartbeats and things because of being in the womb. Well, there was your like little second womb up on exactly, your little ledge. Exactly. On my little ledge. Being able to look down on my parents and yeah. say, Oh, yeah, I feel so safe. Anyway, so I love Patagonia, mostly for the beauty. Rock is so good. You know, I love climbing cracks. That's mm-hmm. what you do there. Um, I'm probably better, like, than average at suffering. And so that, you know, is useful down there. Like, I don't like it. I don't like being cold. I hate being cold. But I can do it. And mm-hmm. it's not – I mean, it's scary to me, but I, I have so much experience with it maybe that I understand the parameters pretty well and um, can kind of work through them. So I think that helps me a lot, like actually enjoy the place more. Sure. Yeah. So, and again, back to your, your – Hanging upbringing. out in the woods in yeah. the snow all the time in Alaska. Right. Like, I mean, I'm, I've practiced a lot. Like sure. I know how to hang out outside right. and be comfortable and content and, um, and enjoy it. And uh-huh. so, I mean, I think that's a huge gift to be able to give to kids, like to be able to be really comfortable in almost any environment. Right. Like, yeah. I feel lucky that I have that. So – so that's Patagonia. Um, and this year, this season, you put up a, a route. So I spent like five years trying to climb Fitzroy with Mikey. And um, we had climbed Point Snow by the Willens, Willens route a few years ago. And then walked all the way back to town. The weather was good again. You know, spent one night eating ice cream in town. Walked all the way back up to try the California route that Yvonne Chouinard put up Um on the south face of Fitzroy, and that was really epic. I mean, that was one of my most epic climbing experiences in my life. Um, we were with Dana Drummond, and we took one sleeping bag for the three of us, and um, horrible conditions, like super horrible. And we woke up, and we slept on, like, there's this big snow ramp on Fitzroy, and right at the top of the snow ramp, there's this boulder field that leads to the summit, and we slept right at the base of it because it was super dark out. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. We were really tired it was really cold and um we built this bivy and we should have gone to the top because when we woke up it was like full white out full windstorm just like as heinous as it gets in patagonia right so i mean we like kept like kind of snuggling back in and being like oh maybe it'll stop you know and so like but by like five o'clock in the morning we're like okay like we gotta get the hell out of here sure and i I sort of asked i was like and it was hilarious because dana had been so cold the first night that mikey's like if and he wanted to go down and Mikey says, you can sleep in the middle if we keep going. And so I'm like on the outside. Dana's in the middle. You know, my honey is on the other side of, you know, Dana, Mad Dog Drummond, you know, like whatever. Like, right. So here I am with these two boys and I was 
like by far the least experienced of the bunch, You're you like, know. And, I'm supposed to be in the middle. <laughs> I was like, first of all, why am I not in the middle? And second of all, like, are we? And I asked, I was like, maybe we should try and go to the top. And like, radio silence. Like, nobody mm. even said anything. Sure. I was like, okay, I had to at least ask. Right. Like, you know, I've been trying to do this for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, we are so close. How tragic that we have to go down. You know, when like all the basic functioning parts of life or flying away with the wind like sure. it's time to go down sure. like, yeah, you can't yeah. eat you can't sleep you can't melt water like so we bailed and it was heinous full white out the whole way we'd never been down you know whatever okay so anyway we did that route and had photos of the south face from the top of point snow and so we had really good beta on like potential new routes sure in that zone mm-hmm. so last year the Weather had been pretty bad all year, and, or all season, and um, we had to fly home, and there was a weather window coming, like a good three-day weather window, which never happens. We spent like a whole day and like $1,000 each changing our plane tickets. Okay. It was super epic. But it, so anyway, so now we're like fully committed. We're, we got to go do something. So we went pretty light. We had a couple lines picked out, one of which is this like rad off-wood line. But I was like, there's no way I can single carry, you know, three number sixes up to the south face of Fitz right. right now. Right. Like it's just because we didn't have anything stashed since we were about to leave. So, sure. so we were going to have to carry everything. So we went pretty light. We had one number four and doubles otherwise. And um no sleeping bag, just like one of those beady winter bivy sacks that was modified so we could both kind of get into it. No pads, enough food, but it's light and slow and lucky is sort of my motto these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know what is wrong with me, but I'm just not, I don't think, I'm not that fast. <laughs> the conditions were horrible. It was like raining on the glacier. So we post, we went in from an odd side to go do this route on the south side we basically mm-hmm. went in from the north side but that meant we had to like post hole across the glacier for like four hours and mm-hmm. so we didn't get to the base until it was in the sun and then this labreccia feature that you have to climb to climb on the south face of it's um this italian r- approach route that got put up um is this horrible like gully feature sure. and so it's just like running with water and there's this little ice mixed part and that fell down right as we got off of it and um you know it's just gnarly and then there was this amazing sort of ice skating rink of a traverse, and we had, like, aluminum crampons and, like, these little tiny third tools that, you know. That's funny. That that was really. in, the, in the film last night, right? It was so – and I, like – Because I, li- I was watching that because I'm always worried about if I were to go down there, like, my ice climbing skills aren't very good. Mine too. And I was – and then I saw you going across <laughs> that, and I was like, I'm, I, I'm as good as that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But it was because you I'm, had this little tiny uh, yeah, thing that you're one. like. And so, like, like Mikey. At, yeah. It was, was so like, bad. Is, is that how it's done down there? I'm like, that's not a big deal. Light and slow <laughs> and lucky. So, yeah. So, my ice climbing skills are not up to par. And then you, like, leave no, the heavy tools. Gear, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, if we had still like front points and, like. You're, like, yeah. whacking at with this, like, little 12 inch tool. Right. It was like a kitty <laughs> tool. So, yeah, it's like if you bring the right equipment, you're going to be really well off. But if you tr- you don't bring a sleep bag and you, like, don't bring real ice tools, then, like, yeah, you totally get hosed. We didn't bring a sleep bag. We're like, well, we're not going to have anywhere to sleep because it was pretty steep. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we're just going to have to keep climbing through the night and then we'll stay warm and, you know, whatever, which obviously didn't happen. We didn't even – we got to the base and we were, like, pretty wet and it was getting dark and, like, the ice was so hard we couldn't deal. So – 
So we slept up there, super cold. Um, and then the next morning actually started the new pitches proper. And there's probably 12 new pitches. Mikey and I know each other super well. And he was really generous and and also like plans well. And he's like, I'll do all the messed up like ice and mix stuff and you climb the rock. Okay. And so basically I got to lead the entire new route sure because like i totally suck at ice and mixed climbing and so that was the most efficient way to do it and so then as soon as it rolled over and got lower angle and snowier again i was like okay honey here you go <laughs> like <laughs> now it's your turn and i was like wow i just got to climb like the most splitter amazing cracks on the planet mm -hmm. and how lucky am i that, that he seems like a that fairly tried and true method though i mean yeah. down there with 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 sort of Using each other's strengths. Exactly. I mean, so that's it just worked out in your favor. I know. <laughs> Another time it might not. <laughs> it might not. So. I mean, I was plenty scared enough right. as it was, but at least, at least it was on rock. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was really wild. It was actually a pretty wide series of cracks. Not all of them. There were some hand cracks too, but um, it was exciting to just have one number four and like be walking it all the time and sort of just, it probably would go free at like 5'11". Um, mid 5.11 somewhere, but like, because I only had one number four and mm -hmm. there was like, you know, full pitches and number fours, there's there yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of shenanigans to, sure. so anyway, there was no way I was going to free that stuff. No, it's but, a um, different paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that. We ended up on top. Um, I had awesome laryngitis. I sounded like a chipmunk by the end. I couldn't talk. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, but it did, it was sort of challenging that way to like be... I mean, I, laryngitis is funny because so you're not you, you really sick. So you guys ended up but, like, spending two nights, right? Yeah. So then we slept on the summit also because right. we got to the summit in the dark, which mm -hmm. just sucks. Then you can't see the view. <laughs> oh, and so remember how we had to bail off the um, like off the snow ramp the first time I went up on Fitzroy uh -huh. on the California route. And so we walked past that bivy spot when we sent the Washington route. And I swear to God, it was like 10 minutes to the top. Oh, it was man. like the easiest like climbing we'd done like on the whole route, you know. Right. I mean, it was it like almost made me cry. I was like, oh my god, I had to come all the way back up here just for this like to do the last ten, ten minutes. You know, wow. <laughs> it was like, that's awesome. So, so that was remarkable too yeah. to be like, wow, okay, now we're on the summit, and there was a lot of people on the mountain in that weather window, which was kind of fun, um, mm -hmm. but also like kind of hectic. And so to go down, like everybody pretty much wraps down the Franco Argentine route, sure. and we were super tired, and there was like five guys that had already that we saw coming down as we were doing that last 10 minutes of Boulderfield and it just seemed scary and stupid to go down in the dark with all these people below us and like it's only Patagonia but it's still a big mountain and like there's plenty of loose rock and like mm -hmm. just stuff to drop on each other so I mean, it was great. Like, we were so tired that it made sense to just stay, go down in the morning um, when there wasn't a whole bunch of people underneath sure. us. So. But, like, the bivy on top of Fitzroy, you know, it's cool. It's beautiful. There's, like, this cool boulder that overhangs that has, like, this little alcove underneath it. But, you know, it's, like, all wind drifted in with snow. And so we spent, like, an hour, like, digging out all the snow and, like, paving it with flat rocks kind of mm -hmm. so that we weren't actually sleeping straight on the snow to build a bivy is a great way to stay warm you know mm -hmm. it's like an hour of the night that you're moving around instead of um laying there uncomfortable and not sleeping and cold and um you know and you don't have to use your brain it's not dangerous right. like you know but it's something to like keep you moving so anyway paved this bivy with some flat rocks and then snuggled into this little wind blanket and um 
it was actually pretty windy by that time and uh, it was really cold like mikey was uncontrollably teeth chattering shivering he it would wake me up and i was like wow like how worried about this should i be you know right (laughs) but i mean you know i guess it's once you stop shivering that that's really scary but like it was really cold um, but that's just part of the deal, I guess. Right. It was only like six hours or something of really, really coldness. Mm-hmm. And then the sunrise was totally worth it. Mind blowing, beautiful, you know, like, and really wonderful to be able to sort of <clears throat> celebrate this gigantic five year effort, mm-hmm. um, actually in the sun and like sure. with the view right. instead of just like tag them and go down. Like right. it felt special to get to actually. Yeah. I think that's really that. rare. Yeah. You know, because it's, I mean, I've never climbed anything that like that, but Plenty of things where you're just like, okay, here, I'm here. I'm here let's get out of here. Yeah, you totally. Know? Like and all this effort, look around. All right, let's go. Yeah. You know? So so that was sweet that it ended up like that, you know, um, sort of by chance because mm-hmm. it took us so much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then it was actually really fun. These these Norwegian guys ended up right on top in the morning, too. They had slept 50 meters down oh, the okay. other side from the North Pillar. Right. And um, we had actually borrowed a couple ice screws from them on the way in because we'd forgotten them, which I mean, like there's no way we would have made it up the route if we hadn't right. borrowed those from those guys. So that was really fun. So then we all repelled together and they were super grateful. Like, cause we'd actually been down the wraps before uh-huh. and like they were totally bonking and didn't have any food. I was like, you guys want a goo? Like, <laughs> I don't know right. why I had a couple of goos left. But I was like, here you go. Like you can do it. So, but it was also just nice to have like safety in numbers mm-hmm. having four mm-hmm. of us and four ropes and you know, extra brain power. Sure. It's always nice on the way down mm-hmm. so yeah so that's the washington route and Why then is it called the washington we, route and then we went back down packed up and flew out the next day wow it was insane um we called it the washington route since both of us grew up in washington um it also was sort of applicable because it's on the south face where the california, california route, route is right. like on the left and then the washington route and then the canadian route and then the polish route and then the um franco-argentine so it's sort of like the nature of that wall. Oh, and cool. Yeah. Got it. Seemed appropriate. Right. I was curious. What I else were we going to call it? I don't know. There's a million things. <laughs> I know. So anyway. Was... I'm looking for a route to call the Nasal Ranger. <laughs> so, But I haven't put it up yet. It's one of those <laughs> things where I already have the name. Yeah. So huh. <laughs> that would have been a nice name for it. I guess. Anyway. Um, if you need names, I got tons of them. I'm so. I'm gonna keep that in mind because sometimes it's hard to come up with names. All right, we got we got to wrap this up, sister. I know we've been here for hours. I know. So l- let me ask you real quick, what's next? What are you looking at working um, through the summer into the fall? What do you got on the? On the I'm on deck? really excited to go to Squamish and maybe the Bugaboos. Uh huh. And then um, this fall, there's a, another Africa trip planned, um, which I'm really excited about. We're gonna go to Mozambique, and um, we have these four scientists that we're gonna take up this big wall to do a survey of the bugs and frogs up there. So Cool. Yeah, so that's really exciting. Who's and we? Um, me and Micah Burhart and uh, sort of posse of documentary filmmakers and uh, scientists. So um, you should come. Yeah. I think so. um, <laughs> but I'm going to try and go to South Africa either end of that mm-hmm. and get some um, climbing in down there too. Sounds so. good. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, you've, you've got sponsorship – uh, you're a Patagonia ambassador, correct? But also you supplement with making jewelry and selling jewelry. And you said last right. night that it's even, what, as much as half of your income? Depending on the year. Right. And, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a thing people ask me to ask all the time. Well, how do these people put this lifestyle together and still 
not have to constantly live in the car and, and live hand to mouth. And yeah. sponsorship a lot of times goes only so far. Even even the people we think are like heavily sponsored, it's still like pittance. Not that much. Right. Yeah. In terms of just <laughs> leading a proper lifestyle yeah. with like a few things to call your own. So Yeah, totally. So tell me about this this jewelry thing and uh maybe we'll 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 sell some jewelry for you. Yeah. yeah. So there's a number of things that makes it possible for me to like live full time as mm-hmm. a climber. And um I've sort of found this style of jewelry that's really like simple and elegant and also really easy to make on the road. Mm-hmm. And um And you've been doing it as long as I've known you. Yeah, so. I mean, pr- probably since I graduated from college mm-hmm. in 2003. So, um, yeah, almost 10 years. So, I, yeah, I get to go collect rocks on the beach up in Washington, you know, a couple days a year. They're all really highly polished already. And then I travel around with like a 20 pound bag of little tiny round rocks. And, um, and on my rest days, I make jewelry. So it's a great combo for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to take rest days and uh and it's great that i have this like really creative sort of um almost meditative thing to do that also brings income into my mm-hmm. life so and it's cool to make wearable art and it's cool that like this community of climbing women especially have really supported me in that and to like see somebody wearing my jewelry that i don't know is really a sweet compliment to me you know and it's a it it's like it's like a little tribe like they're totally part of my community even right. though i don't necessarily know them right so that's a cool way to stay connected to- well i think it's cool too i mean you know i know this will probably embarrass you but because uh, most climbers most professional climbers that i know are, don't seem to quite wrap their head around that they actually have fans you know that people want to hear about what they're doing and and admire what they're doing and get inspiration from them right that seems odd i know it does (laughs) but uh but i think that's awesome you have a way that they can you know support you but get something from it you know it's like i'm not just gonna hand you twenty dollars right you have something you have something that i appreciate and Yet part of it's going to help you fund your lifestyle that I admire and get inspiration from. Right. So I think it's a really nice way to seem as though you're giving back a little bit too. You know, right. So. Well, and that's interesting as a full-time climber to be able to justify this seemingly selfish pursuit, you know. But at the same time, like you said with jewelry, um, you know, to be able to be involved and invested in the community and, and like, yeah, try to inspire people mm-hmm. and, like, show them how it's done. It's, like, not that hard, you know. Like, put one fr- foot in front of the other and all of a sudden you're at base camp and halfway up the mountain, you know. And so I think just starting and having that intention, you know, to, like, climb a lot is the first step and and yeah you end up sacrificing and making different choices so that you can go climbing a lot and it's like i'm not necessarily saving to buy a house right now but i have what i need i mean i live really simply like i definitely don't have a tv i don't have a shower i don't live in a house right now um and that's really hard for a lot of people but like i think they also don't realize that it's not that hard as long as you're you're doing what you love mm-hmm. um so I don't know. It's it, but it's a good challenge for me to try and like bring stories back that inspire people, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the only way I can justify like the fossil fuels that burn, for example, which is embarrassing. But if you can't be inspired and a happy, loving person, then there's no way that you're going to have a good impact on the world, you know. And right. So I totally do what I love, and so hopefully that rubs off on people, and they'll do what they love too. Well, listen, Kate, thanks a lot for sitting down. You're and, welcome. Um, despite the fact that you uh, 
I'm you, feeling much better now. That you didn't, that you quote unquote, I don't have anything to talk about. Um, we just, you know, we just, we just put don't. away a solid, solid interview. So I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll uh, get to climb together sometime I soon. I know. We should hang out in a more or less formal situated. setting. Yeah, sophisticated <laughs> as the mobile, the mobile studio. I know. Yeah. This place is pretty heavy. It is. So, right on. I'm proud of you for making it so sophisticated. <laughs> Thanks. <sighs> Phew. So that's it. Kate Rutherford, everybody. I'm going to make this quick because you guys have given me over an hour already. So while you're thinking about it, head over to suspendedstonedesigns.com. That's Kate's website where she shows off her jewelry. Check it out. It's pretty awesome stuff. Ladies, gentlemen, for the ladies, whatever you need to do. Also remember me. Give me an email. Chris at normalcast.com. Go over to the Facebook and like us. And the biggest thing is just keep telling your friends to listen because the more the merrier over here at the Enorma Cast. Thanks again. We'll see you in a couple weeks. I told my pap and ma'am I was coming to the mountain set. Trap and be a mountain man. Acted like they was gut shot. Says, son. Make your life go here. Here's where the people's is. And mountains is for animals and savages. I said, Mother Q, the Rocky Mountains is the marrow of the world. By God, I was right.